Today's episode of The People's Theology is going to be a little different, to say the least. We're still going to engage the questions of this season. We're still going to ask how do we engage the world, but even the way we're going to ask them is actually going to be different. And the way we address them is going to be different. You could call this episode an experiment. Something I've been wanting to try for a while, but it feels most appropriate to do with this topic. And even at this season, a season that is so rushed and so busy, even though it is supposed to be a season about rest. And that leads into what is the topic and the conversation of today's episode, which is rest. This summer, many of you know, I went on sabbatical for three months. And so the episode that follows is, I guess you could say an essay slash journal entry that I wrote while on sabbatical. It's sort of story, sort of memoir, and sort of theological treatise on this period of rest. Now, don't worry, the episode is not me just reading an essay to you. Hopefully it's better than that. But it is an exploration of what rest is, because I am convinced after sabbatical that Rest is maybe the primary, or I should say at least one of the first ways that we as the people of Jesus engage this world. It is an act of protest, an act of defiance to systems that so regularly commodify us and our imagination. It is one of the ways we live something truly and radically different. And so today during this crazy season of busyness, of expectation, and of hype. Here is an invitation into rest. This summer, I went on sabbatical with my wife. It was a gift of three months where we could be hidden away from the business of normal. On that three-month sabbatical, The ideas that we've talked about throughout this podcast, well, something changed for me about them. It's not that these ideas became new, but the empty space and slow time cultivated a deeper, more profound sense for them. I think now I understand that that is the gift of rest. The gift of open width to sit and dwell and press into the real. I am so thankful for the time I was given, but honestly, the return was hard. For three months, we were able to disconnect and break out of the cycles, rivalries, images of the good life that so inundate us every day. We put down our phones, took long walks to secret pools. We found spaces away from the energy of anxiety and urgency that dominate our normal. But then we came back, and it all crashed in, more obvious and painfully restrictive than than ever before. Have you ever seen slow motion videos of a gun fired in water? As the bullet cuts through the surface and into the water, it creates, for a few moments, a vacuum of empty space. For a millisecond, the water is held back. Sabbatical was like that. 
a millisecond of peace before the water rushed in to consume the silence. I've never been good at rest, and my wife Tori even less. And honestly, my first thoughts about sabbatical were that it was going to be a great time to get things done. I knew that wasn't the right approach, and I wanted to start sabbatical meaningful. And so we decided that the best way to begin was with a week of solitude at a friend's cabin in Colorado. On May 1, I got in my car, and I drove to Colorado. I brought food, some books, my computer to do a little writing, and a guitar because I thought maybe in the boredom I would learn to play. I didn't. The first day was easy. But by mid-afternoon on the second day, a sense of anxiety started to creep in. I didn't have anything to do, though, so I went on a walk down to a little lake. As I walked, I tried to think through why I felt the way I did. I even asked God to help me find calm But mostly, I told myself, there is no hurry here. It was a literal reminder that I wasn't in a hurry to do anything. That I had no deadlines or projects to complete and no one to see. It's funny, but that sentence created enough space for me to actually remember, there is no hurry here but what I bring. That very simple phrase became the motto of my entire sabbatical. I probably told myself every day, there is no hurry here, for three months, every time that I felt the pressure of normal, try and claim my time. Healing by Wendell Berry, stanza one. The grace that is the health of creatures can only be held in common. And healing The scattered members come together. In health, the flesh is graced. The holy enters the world. When I left for sabbatical, I I thought I knew what rest was. I thought I knew how important it was and how formative it could be. But three months later, I realized I didn't have a clue. I had a lot of ideas and theological niceties, but not a lived experience in slow time and open space. The poet Wendell Berry said true rest can only be found in the wild because it exists outside of human obligation. Outside the pressure and pool of our everyday life, we find freedom. Before I left for sabbatical, I wrote down a set of questions I hoped to answer. A lot of them, for me, were about vocation. I thought I'd spend my time reflecting on what I wanted my life to look like over the next five years, figure out my next thing. But I didn't. Not even close. Instead, in the open space, those questions faded out of view and out of mind, and new kinds of questions emerged. Questions might actually be the wrong word. What emerged was more like a sense for something, a sense of beauty and space. In the wild, outside of human obligation and the pressure of the normal, we find distance from time. In Desert Solitaire, author Edward Abbey wrote, quote, we are preoccupied with time, 
If we could learn to love space as deeply as we are now obsessed with time, we might discover a new meaning in the phrase to live like men, end quote. Rest outside of obligation in the wild challenges the lie and asks us, what if we trusted? What if we were as capable of trust as we are susceptible to fear? Stanza five. True solitude is found in the wild places where one is without human obligation. One's inner voice becomes audible. One feels the attraction of one's most intimate sources. In consequence, one responds more clearly to others' lives. The more coherent one becomes within oneself as a creature, the more fully one enters into the communion of all creatures. One returns from solitude laden with the gifts of circumstance. The hard work of good work is learning to embrace humility. And we find humility in rest. Israel was called to rest not just for ethical reasons, though that was important, but for theological reasons as well. Imagine being an ancient Israelite with a family you're responsible to feed with the work of your own hand from your own land. Or you're an Israelite leader who is responsible for protecting her people from outside attack and inside injustice. In each case, both are called to rest on the Sabbath, to give up control, which means not working the field or patrolling the borders. Sabbath is the hard practice of trust, of learning that our obligations aren't as important as we want them to be, which is crazy, because if you're an ancient Israelite, feeding your family is important, and that's why rest is hard. But if we're honest, the really hard part is having our sense of self challenged when we realize we aren't as needed as we'd like to imagine. Or when we realize that the projects we've been working on, the businesses that we've been running, or the ideas that we've been dreaming aren't as important as we want them to be. Rest brings a balance to our self-importance. Our projects are important. They have the power to make the world better. And at the same time, they aren't as important as we want them to be. And that's liberating. But it's also hard. The reward is worth the risk, though. As Barry writes, one's inner voice becomes audible. One feels the attraction of one's most intimate sources. In the open space of the wild and the slow time of rest, we hear the voice of true desire and we feel the pool of more beautiful things. This might sound cliche, but I don't care. The best part about my sabbatical was time spent with Tori. We saw amazing places, but none of it compared to seeing her. To knowing what it means to be drawn towards one's most intimate sources. There is a vividness to intimacy in the work of rest, a depth 
and a substance that I hadn't experienced before. I don't know why it works. I can't give you a formula to reproduce it. All I can say is that rest opens up spaces of presence. Gaps in time and motion where we can see and hear one another in humility and love. that was true of Tori, it's also true of God. In rest, we make room in our lives to sense the presence of God, to understand how God is in that moment. There's a story in Exodus that I really love where Moses hides away on a mountain, away from human obligation, and in desperation he prays, quote, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Exodus 22, verse 12 through 13. In this story, Moses is rightfully weary of his work, tired of the people, and afraid of what is to come. So he asks God to show him the way in order to find favor in his sight. How does God respond? He says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Exodus 33, verse 14. In a word, peace. I left for sabbatical with anxiety about my future. Because for the first time in my life, I couldn't answer the question, what's next? I felt a bit empty. I could feel myself battling a desire to give up. And having an answer to the question, what's next, had always been the way I dealt with discontentment, but it wasn't working. I hoped I'd figure it out while on sabbatical, but I didn't. And as I say this, I still haven't figured out what's next, what my five-year plan is. Instead, I got open spaces and slow time solitude to hear the voices that matter and to feel the attraction of beautiful things. In a word, peace.
Barry isn't done with us yet, though. In rest, in learning to embrace humility, we make room in ourselves for others. The consequence of good solitude is that one responds more clearly to other lives. The more coherent one becomes within oneself as a creature, the more fully one enters into the communion of all creatures. This is true of both people and the world around us. In embracing our humility, we get to see the reality of our nature, our deep physicality and embeddedness. Commodification severs us from place, but the result isn't freedom, it's homelessness, a disembodied, disconnected aimlessness. But true rest sets us back down into place. It grounds us in the stuff of creation and reconnects us to our source. As Mary tells the Ents in the Two Towers, you're a part of this world. And rest reminds us it's so and gives us the ability to enter back into our shared communion with all creatures where we find a sense of rooted identity and grace. And when we return, as we must, we come laden with the gifts of circumstance. Rest isn't just for us. It serves the community around us. Israel was called to rest so that the world around them would know what it looks like to be a people in relationship to God. Rest presses on the artificial boundaries of our imagination and sends us back into the world more fully human to live more fully. We enter back into our workplaces, our communities, our churches with the gift of our time. Invitations into the rest of our God. We all need this. Our families, our coworkers, our employees, our churches, and the communities we call home need us to be arrested people. The question is are we willing to take the risk to make it happen? As is so often the case, rest requires risk because the impulse of our time is preservation. We don't even think about it. Subconsciously, we run the numbers, and innately, we feel like rest is a loss in the ledger, which it is. I work for a church that values rest, which is a gift, but Tori didn't. She worked in a corporate environment where the values were hard work, ambition, and investor profits. Her coworkers were good people, and upper management meant well, but they live out of the logic of our commodified systems, and therefore, they couldn't fathom her request for seven weeks of unpaid time off. And in some ways, neither could we. All rest is risk. Israel risked their borders, the protection of their nation, and even the well-being of their families in order to rest. Rest forced them to confront the anxiety of nations with trust that their God was who he said he was and that his story of the world was true.
The lie of our culture is that achievement will manage anxiety, but it won't. There is no list so great, no army so big, no deal so weighty that we can terminate the gnawing sense. The only way to deal with anxiety is to confront it with rest, to risk in fear and choose trust. In that sense, rest is the first and maybe greatest defiance of our system an active denial of its logic. Rest is a protest against the endless hunger of commodification and the violence of shallow desires. It is our own small way of looking at the tide of dark and saying, here is where you meet your shore. You shall go no farther. Risk is hard. There's no way around that truth. But a life without risk in trust and rest is harder, emptier. We've already spent so much time running the course of this world, grasping for promises that melt into air. So in that sense, what do we have to lose? If we can find a moment of space in the crashing commotion, we realize it is just that, commotion. We have been offered so much more. A kingdom of abundance with a table at its center. All of us are welcome. Everyone is invited to taste and see. But the question is, are you willing to take the risk? Near the end of his book, Desert Solitaire, Edward Abbey hikes into Havasu Falls alone. He was originally heading towards Los Angeles with a group of friends, but decided abruptly that he needed to see Havasu. Desert Solitaire comes nearly 15 years later. And at the time of writing this memoir, Abby still hadn't seen the Pacific or any of its grand cities. It's easy for me to write about the vices of consumption, vices that we see in the city. Rest and the wild has its own vices that are hard to escape. To quote Abby, but Havasu, once down there, it's hard to get out. Abby recounts the story of his journey to Havasu. He talks about how he hikes in past the reservation and into the lonely beauty of the falls. But the first thing he did was take his pants off, naturally. For some five weeks, Abby lived alone, hiking, exploring, swimming, sleeping, and heeding the most intimate voices. Near the end of his time, he decides to venture further out and explore the slot canyons that surround the falls, 
He hikes through the day, climbing higher and higher. As the sun begins to set, he decides it's time to return, so he decides to take a shortcut down through one of the slot canyons. He sees an opening, climbs down the sheer face, which leads to another drop, which ends up being into a pool of water. He jumps. But when he looks down, he realizes that he's stuck. Once down there, it's hard to get out again. The vices of the wild are unencumbered freedom. Freedom to take your pants off, lay, hike, swim, and explore outside the bounds of human obligation. But there are consequences to being disconnected from humanity. Abby nearly loses his life from going alone, which is always a possibility. But even more likely is the risk of losing yourself to the wild. We are social beings, and our identity and sense of self is tied to our community. And we are vocational beings, most fully alive when the gift of our creatureliness is expressed in creativity. We need rest. More than ever before. But we have to return. We need to go where there is no hurry so that we can come back laden with gifts. It won't be easy. But unlike Abby, we need to finish the journey and go to Los Angeles, to the city. Our world needs the church fully alive and fully awake. It needs a people embodying the kingdom of Jesus, making real the invitation to the table. That's why we need to be a people of rest. To be a people who disconnect from the systems long enough to see them as they are. So that we can return. Hopefully when we do, we won't be the same. You've been listening to The People's Theology, brought to you by Missio Day and the Gospel Collective in Salt Lake City, Utah. For more information about who we are and what we do, check out our website at missiouta.com. Thank you for listening to this episode. It was a little different, a little experimental, but my hope at the end of the day is that it invites you into a moment of rest to rethink and reconsider, especially in the busyness of this season, what it looks like to truly rest and trust and risk. Music on today's episode came from Lee Rosevere, Boney Vare, and Beirut. And again, thank you for listening. This is our final episode of 2018. So thank you for listening to what we've done this year. And uh, check back in January of 2019 for a brand new episode. Thanks for listening.